one. Hello, Miffy. Hello, Zanro. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling post arias? Uh, I'm post nap. I just took a two hour nap on my boss's couch. Um, that's good. So was she there better. just watching you? Uh, no. Or you slept? <laughs> Quite. That's, why, that's, that's how she relaxes. <laughs> um, no. She, hi, Megan. How are you going? I know that I, I would have her blessing yeah. because um, it was a big day. I started the day yesterday uh, to do my usual thing, getting up really early to do TV, news breakfast, and then did my show. And then from then it was like Aria. So I was kind of going for 18 hours or something. Um, and so yeah, it was a full on day, but it was really fun. I had a really fun Arias. And can I tell you, I probably could have gone home, even though I should have gone home after the Arias and not kicked onto a couple of after parties, but I could have gone home very happy because I enjoyed the red carpet for the very first time. Hang on. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> do you, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. Red carpets are weird. Standing there and posing and people talking to you about stuff. I don't know. I just find them really awkward. Oh, they're horrible. I yeah. avoid them at all costs. <laughs> yeah. So, and I usually do too. And I, but I did the, this one was like, I did the walk of the red carpet and I answered a few questions for people and I posed for photos and that was fine. But then I went back, I walked all the way back to the front of it and I started doing my job. So I was both there as an attendee, but also there ah, repping for ABC News. Great. That's what you meant. Yep. Got it. As music correspondent. And it was so much more fun having a sense of purpose, but the kicker was that usually like all the other media, so all the commercial stations, you've got your Angela Bishops, you've got all your people from Channel 9 and Channel 7, um, all the people from different blogs and stuff, they're behind a barricade. But because I was a guest, but I was also doing double duty and doing a live cross for ABC News uh, and picking up a couple of voxies for them, I was the only media that was on the red carpet. Oh, did so you break had... the rules there? Was that a bit of rule breaking you were doing? I... I kept on waiting for someone to tell me off and I didn't want to get in anyone's way, but I was able to, like, while they were all kind of, you know, leaning against the barricade and going, Troy, Nicole, blah, 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 yelling to people. I'm just there walking around the red carpet and just grabbing people I, I recognise, people that I know, bringing them over. That's fantastic. <laughs> it was so good. Can I pull so on your good. coat about something? Hey, I Casey. Know. That's Amazing. great. So you actually got all your talent without having to yell and scream, which I always find pretty weird isn't it uncouth yeah. yeah I didn't get Nicole though that's the thing like we were trying to get because of course Nicole Kidman was there um supporting her husband Keith and he was hosting the awards um well you know got up there a couple of times pretty loose sort of hosting it is of the Arias and they were right next to us talking to Channel 9 and um I was right there looking at them and I think I was actually texting Bang Boy while it was happening because I was freaking out <laughs> Because I'm on the red carpet and I'm kind of there. It's almost like I'm at sea. I'm at sea in the middle of the red carpet. And Nicole Kidman is less than like less than a metre away you from me. you can't look at it, can you, like when you're there? Because you want to be cool, but it's Nicole and you want to look at Nicole. But you still want to be cool. So you don't look, but you kind of look. And then you're still trying to be cool. How, how did you do it? How did you get around it? I'm I'm standing there frozen, just staring at her. But also, like you know, when you're sort of really still because you want to hide, but there's nothing to hide behind, yeah. so you're just sort of frozen in the middle, standing <laughs> straight up, like you're like a full body behind a skinny little pole. That was the kind of vibe oh, that I was going fantastic. for. But then I'm just standing there, and every everyone's sort of just watching them and watching her have a chat and stuff like that. And I'm just not like not moving from my post. And then she just turns around because Keith's having a chat to the journalist. She turns and just looks straight at me, straight through to my soul, and then gives me this beautiful smile. The whole, the eyes smile, the face smiles, and a little wrinkle of her nose. Oh. Like we're all besties, and she's happy to see me, and she hasn't caught up with me in a while. Oh. 
And I'm just there she going. Hasn't seen, <laughs> on the inside, she hasn't seen you since BMX Bandits. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh. And then she walked even closer to me because she had to get from one place to the oh, other. Did she, did, she, did she wear a nice perfume? She, I couldn't. As much, no, as, I, as, as much as I was hoping to smell Nicole, I didn't get that creepy. Such a, I didn't mean that to be creepy, but it actually, the way then you repeated it back to me is creepy. I just wanted to know what sort of perfume she wore. But. She was glowing. She was absolutely glowing. She was about 30 centimetres away from me because then Keith was bailed up and just having another chat with someone even closer to me. So she's kind of in limbo. She's waiting to go from A to B and she doesn't want to be necessarily. I can tell that she doesn't want to make it about her. So she's kind of taking a step back mm. just to be there to support but not be the main act because she wants Keith to be the main act. Well, yeah. But she's there right in front of me and I'm just, again, frozen. I'm like, what do I do? I'm kind of like, don't move. Maybe she won't notice that I'm just standing here out at sea in the middle of the red carpet and she's right next to me. Anyway, finally she moves on and I'm just like, in my mind, I'm like, don't ask for a selfie. Don't ask for a selfie. Be professional. Don't ask for a selfie. Then she moves on to the next little media thing and as she walks past, I just look directly across the path and between me and her, Courtney Barnett is being on the other side doing the exact same thing <laughs> and we're just looking at each other frozen and then just mouth, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> what is happening? What is life? What is life? But the circus here Where the night is totally clear And your heart is fierce So now you finally know That you can totally go You can't steal Oh, oh my God <laughs> I was, Look, I know what we're about to talk about And I was expecting something A song about undies or Knickers, but no. Bang Boy or did you, Zan, go with Steer from the Seagans? This is Seagans? me. This is me. Because Knickers, the giant cow that is neither a cow nor a giant, apparently, which I'm very upset about, he is in fact a steer. I see what you did there. That is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I love the story of Knickers. It's blown up online, locally and internationally. Tell us the story of Knickers, the giant steer, the giant Holstein Frisian cow. Yeah, he's a beauty. He's an absolute beauty. He's a big boy. He is a big boy, six foot four. Now, that's huge by any means, six foot four, which means he weighs roughly 2,800 pounds, of which I have no idea what that means in our measurement, but apparently he's taller than Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mm. but the equivalent of 14 and a half Danny DeVito's. (laughs) Did you like that? I stole that from an article in the Washington Post. Thank you very much. But Nickers is big and he's a steer and there's a reason why he's so big and people are sort of saying he's not that big. The cows next to Nickers that he was towering over are Wagyu cows and they're tiny and they're small little, you know, little little cows don't get that big. But Nickers is freaking huge, like (laughs) a six foot eight cow. Like I can't even stand and put my arms up to be six foot eight. That is a big beast. And I I will not go backwards on this. Steers, yes, normally they usually get go to the farm by the age of about three. So they're not Mm. normally allowed to grow this big, but he's big regardless. Like we're just not used to seeing cows this big and, and he might be a freak of nature. And I say all power to you, Nickers. So much love coming your way, Nickers. You've given us a lot of joy today and I refute 
the article that says he is not a giant cow. He's a giant cow. Let him have his moment in the sun, you dream killers. He's still a big cow, even though the Wagyus aren't as big as other cows. He's still a bloody massive cow. I love that, you know, the, one of the reasons that he's been able to survive as well is because, yes, he's been let to live a lot older and so he's grown a lot bigger. But even if they wanted to take him to the abattoir, uh, and this is going to get dark <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, he wouldn't fit on the, like he, his body would hang over. He wouldn't fit and the cuts of meat would be too big. So so he's, uh, he's the the uh, the worth of his girth is uh, mm. saving his life. I also love the the farmer who houses Nickers, who calls Nickers uh, home, uh, just south of Perth in a town called Mileup. Um, said that he acts as a coach for the other four thousand head of cattle. I just love <laughs> Nickers showing them where to roam, and he says, "quote He just hangs around. He's part of the furniture. Obviously, he's gained some stardom. That's changed his identity a little bit. We'll have to see what happens with that." <laughs> Do you reckon Nickers knows? Apparently Nickers Nickers is getting a little bit agitated with all the attention. Yeah. Do you reckon he's asking to see the photos now that, like, when people take them? Can I have a look at that? (laughs) Just to make sure it goes out on social media in a a kind of gentle and attractive way, I'm sure. Picking the right filter. Yeah. (laughs) Good on you, Nickers. I love it. I love the story of Nickers. Playing some Robin there because Robin got played a lot on Lena Dunham's Girls television series, which mm. I've got to say I really loved. I loved that TV series. It came at a time there was nothing else like it. It's been criticised subsequently for so many reasons, but I still really, really loved the television series. And there's been a rather long uh kind of long read about Lena Dunham that you can read in The Cut and this is by Alison P. Davis. Lots of people are talking about it this week Um, and let me start up by saying it's really long so you probably don't want to read it. I struggled to actually read it. I kept sort of dipping in and dipping out because I don't know there's just something about it. I couldn't quite sink my teeth into it and I think that is... That's the interesting thing about Lena Dunham. I think that I know what you mean in that um, I love Lena as well, but she, you know, you have this kind of love-hate relationship with her and, and all the things that she does that drive you nuts, you don't want to because you kind of like, for me, I sort of think, you know, the, the through your very open sharing of things, you start conversations, you normalise conversations that maybe wouldn't happen before and I appreciate that. Yeah. But there's something that still makes your skin kind of bristle with some of the stuff she talks about. And then, of course, there's the privilege that she has and I think that that sort of rubs people the wrong way as well. But it is an epic, epic piece. Looking at all of that, isn't it, both Page her life and also the response to her life page after page after page and where she's at now so it goes through the television series girls talks about her recent breakup with her partner um talks about her endometriosis and and subsequent hysterectomy talks about all the criticism of her personality and her person talks about her breakup with her writing partner jenny connor long-term writing partner talks about how she oh have they split since doing camping yeah yeah so camping hasn't been received all that well um and she's taken a real step back and, and, and why she's taking a real step back. So it goes into all of these things. But some of the things she says in this article are so grating and some of the some of the setups. And I certainly don't want to be part of the pile on Lena Dunham campaign as well because I think that that is cruel and unnecessary. And 
you know, she's she's playing a very, very important role and has played a very, very important role. But there's there's some quotes in here that will have you on the floor, okay? She lives in a house with her three hairless sphinx cats, mm. velvety grey candy and Irma and Lulu, a tiny wrinkly peach cat that looks like a walking foreskin with watchful eyes. It's very well <laughs> written, this one. But I'm trying to find the quote because I've got it. Photo- of course, I've got the printout. Nana. Classic. Okay, <laughs> cop this for a quote. And the only is- person who prints out a, doc- an, only for an, a long on. read. Only for bang on. <laughs> only for bang on. You're like Donald Trump who prints out his emails. Yeah. Oh, I'm shit. sorry for saying you like Donald Trump. Oh, my Trump. God. Well, I've- <laughs> oh, no. I didn't even know. I had so many retorts then, but I couldn't say any of them. <laughs> um, okay. Dunham starts squeezing blackheads on Irma, Irma, the hairless cat's chin. For real, all right? You got that? You got that visual? I didn't even know that cats had blackheads. I have never heard of a cat <laughs> having a blackhead, but like, and who sits there in an interview and squeezes a cat's blackhead anyway? And what cat would Save that you for do private that? time at least. Save that for <laughs> private. Anyway, but that's that sort of oversharing that I think is intended to grate on us. Yeah. And, 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 which, and which she can't help. But the writer's but do, writing like that. But you think that her doing that in front of a journalist is oversharing? It's provocative. Yeah. And, mm. But I'm not sure if that's because I just, you know, it, it rubs me the wrong way. And I kind of still love her too at the same time. And I love that she is so provocative like that. Anyway, she's squeezing the blackheads on her as the hairless cat's chin. Then has to decide to go off and, and just decides to have a sleep in front of the journalist. Like... She, she goes, um, I take off my jewels, I get ready to snug out, she says, gently dismissing me so she can get back into bed. Like, what world is this where you just have someone over to interview you and then you go, I'm going to go and have a sleep now? Maybe she went to the Arias the night before. Maybe I mean, she you know. did. Maybe she did. <laughs> I don't know. I feel really conflicted because I love her, but at the same time I read things like this and I, find, I just I find her so privileged. and so. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the kicker. It's also that I think that, you know, what I struggle with her in the, in this oversharing, because I really appreciate, and particularly recently she's been sharing a lot of things about of her course. own personal uh, health and, 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 and body image and talking about, you know, last year when she lost a bunch of weight and she was posting all these shots with then sort of going, actually, I was really sick inside and, and I'm so much happier now and this is me and this is normal um, and celebrate the body that you have and the body is a, a vessel for keeping me alive. It's not a body for, uh, you know, for the, for the gaze of others. Like I find all that stuff really empowering, but I think that the thing that sort of, you know, that feeling that you're having, I have as well, where sometimes I'm kind of like, just because you want to say it, you've got, you have got incredible power and privilege doesn't mean you should necessarily. And I know that sounds like I'm saying, shut the hell up and you know, your place should be this and you should be, you know, I, I, I don't know how to react to that because when my reaction to some of the stuff she says, I kind of go, oh, it's a bit on the nose. I then think, why am I reacting yeah, no, that that's, way? That's what I want. That's what is I'm it becoming trying to this work inter, to you know, as well. Internalized misogyny. Yeah. Would I be having this reaction to someone else? And maybe I would. And maybe it's more of a privileged thing and a gender thing. But I know what you mean. And that's like, you start digging into your own reactions and your own, like I say, internalized misogyny if it exists in there, or the why you're thinking about these things and the way that you're trained to react to certain people and celebrities depending on where they are, who they're coming, you know, where they're coming from, who they are and what gender they are. I don't know. It, like, yeah. it, it, it stirs up more questions than it does answers, doesn't it? I'm starting it? to think Lena Dunham is the performance. 
her being is a performance and she, whether or not she's conscious of it, a lot of the things that she does does encourage us to think, whether it be in a positive or a negative way. And and maybe that is the role that she's playing in this time in history. How she appears is so layered. And maybe, and maybe she- that's, the, that's, that's the point, though, that the idea that someone is layered. It's not just layered, but it's also it's a draft. So unlike so many other statements or think pieces or perfectly finished photos online that we see and we scroll through our Instagram, what we see is raw and unfiltered for better or worse. And some days we love it, like some of the posts that I see her do. And some days you think, why didn't you think that through? Why didn't you think about how this, you know, absolutely betrays your incredible privilege and you're not actually thinking about the audience that this is landing with. But what she's doing is putting it all out there and there is no filter. And that's the whole point of it. That layer shows, the la- the layering of what she does actually shows uh, all of the drafts that usually are hidden from view, all of the things that can be flawed, and she in turn is showing that human beings are flawed. Mm. Maybe we are reading maybe, way maybe too much reacting. into this. Maybe, yeah, and maybe we're just that's how we're, we're reacting because it makes us uncomfortable to show our flawed bits. It's funny that we're talking about this in Bang On because I know this, and this is kind of like breaking down the fourth wall. But you and I, Miff, what we do literally every day is we bring a polished version of ourselves to the radio and we don't show mistakes. But in Bang On, we just talk and there's very little that we cut out every week unless we say something that is going to get us sued. (laughs) Um, But we really do. And we had to learn how to do that because we've been trained, both of us, over like 20 years of doing media to deliver as best we can the polished product where we know everything, where we know all the facts before we turn on the microphone and bang on, we try to do that. But we also, if we don't, we're still searching through that in real time. And I kind of think that 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 was really hard for us to do because that's not what media people do and that's not what audiences expect necessarily. But I think that that's actually, I know I'm pulling back the curtain here and making a little bit fourth wall, but I find that this stuff about that kind of, you know, that draft process, that rawness of people in the public eye, I find that a really interesting discussion. Mm. Maybe I need to write a think piece. And maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm envious of that rawness. Maybe that's what grates. We're just not used to it. Yeah. It's so foreign to us. And that's why it's rubbing up against us in a, in a way that blackheads rub up against a hairless oh, cat's I'd face. I'd squeeze those blackheads <laughs> if I was there. I'd the cat but you would keep not it private. let you squeeze you it. You just keep it private. You don't do that in front of it. <laughs> Oh, it's the best time of year when all the Christmas decorations go up. You know my feelings about Christmas, Miffy. Oh, I know love your it. feelings. I know love you love it. Christmas. I'm coming around, though. Coming around yeah. this year. Well, this time last year, of course, we were celebrating an amazing moment when the very first Christmas for the Trumps was celebrated in the White House. And, of course, that means that Melania Trump, the First Lady, got to decorate. And you'll remember on Bang On that the White House in one particular corridor featured some white wintry branches. Twigs. Looked like Some desolate twigs, I think, was the description, <laughs> wasn't it? Which was very obviously blew up the internet at the mm. time. Well, she's back. There's a whole lot more color going mm. on in the 2018 de- de- decorations for the White House Christmas. But once again, she's treated one hallway to a, a beautiful surprise a collection of blood red trees <laughs> that look like they belong in the shining. Oh, it's, it's terrifying. So amazing. It is terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. So good. Like, and a lot of thought and love has gone into this, but I'm not sure if it's a reflection of what's going on at home. (laughs) 
But I'm just not sure about red, stabby looking things. Maybe that's how she's feeling towards the husband. It's the kind of deep red blood that you'd have if you suffered a really full-on injury. You know, that deep red, like very Mm. vibrant blood. And actually, you know, not only like people were sort of putting those two, one of the most scary scenes in The Shining, which is the two twin girls just standing in the hallway and then there's the wall of blood behind them, which still like is just, you know, it's seared into everyone's memories. There's another great meme. And of course, there's been memes aplenty about this, where uh, someone had just put the little white hats from The Handmaid's Tale on top of all Mm, of them. That was my favourite. Very much my favourite. It's so good. But also the thing that I took away from it again, you just look through and it's like, God, because I love Christmas decorations and they look so expensive and so fancy and there's so many of them how many people are wandering through those parts of the white house and enjoying them can i get an invite over to no i don't want to go to christmas lunch at the white house (laughs) that'd be awkward yeah it's just them really isn't it just hanging around in the blood red tree corridor (laughs) merry christmas merry christmas melania Brilliant. Brilliant song choice there. I today am banging on about something that I think you should all read, actually. Mm-hmm. Quarterly essay, they come out every quarter. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Um, this one by Sebastian Smee, who's an amazing uh, art critic and journalist for the Washington Post. And he's written the quarterly essay, Net Loss, The Inner Life in the Digital Age. And this kind of blew me away really it's it's about how we are terrified of our inner life and the digital age has been set up to basically cater for that um, the horror of our inner life the messiness of our inner life the darkness of our inner life is not compatible and by inner life I just mean the thoughts that we have when we're alone that the, the stuff that we mull over when we are confronted with difficult things our inner life it's it's who we are essentially, but it's what we never show to anybody else. And he is basically suggesting or has a theory that social media is is killing that inner life and, and it, to the detriment of us and to humanity, I think. Um, mm. It's a brilliant essay, another long read. This one I did not get bored of, unlike the Lena Dunham one, which took a while. This one I read <laughs> straight through and... Oh, just, just do it. It's you know. That sounds like it's totally up my alley. It's just time. It's time. I feel like it's time to say goodbye. I like. I, I get angry even looking at social media. I just go, why am I even looking at this shit? Yeah. It's just time wasting. I could be spending my life on things that make my mind grow and my heart sing, and yet I don't know. I just. I think. I. I just feel like the time is as. Is come and, and more and more you're reading things like this and it just hits home more and more. Like today I got my phone out when I was waiting for a coffee. I'm going, why am I getting my phone out? Why yeah, did I get any, it out? Any What's stolen second when you're point? waiting across the road. You why know? am I so uncomfortable with myself? I don't yeah. want to be uncomfortable with myself. I like myself. All that distraction can't be that great for us. So, you know, I sound like a nana now, but I've turned. I've turned on social media. Um, it's like I've had a few of these lately and now I'm like really – Actually, yeah, nah, it's time. I think it's time. And thank you for that, Sebastian Smee, for pushing me over the edge. What's it called? It's called Net Loss, The Inner Life of the Digital Age. It's a quarterly essay. What are you banging on about, Zan? 
Um, I'm banging on about a an adaptation of one of my favourite books slash series of books. Have you ever heard of the Elena Ferrante Neapolitan novels? Oh, my God. I love them. Love, 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 love. Have you love. read them all? Yeah, I read them all. Love them. Oh, my God. You're going to love this then. I hope. I'm so excited. This is the adaptation which um, I first heard about a few months ago of HBO. It's a co-production between HBO and an Italian uh, TV sort of film production company, which is fantastic because it's the adaptation of My Brilliant Friend, which is the first in the Elena Ferrante series of her Neapolitan novels. There are four. It's basically the story of a friendship and it begins with uh, at the end of this kind of friendship's life, as in like women in their 70s, uh, one of them's gone missing and then it sort of starts the other one who is a writer basically says, I'm going to tell our story. And the over four books she does and it's the one of the richest and I just get shivered thinking about it, one of the richest reading experiences I've ever had in my life. And now the first book has been turned into an eight-part HBO series. It's screening locally on Foxtel. They're a little bit behind, so they've only screened the first, maybe just the second episode. So I've only seen the first episode. It's all in Italian, as it should be. It's all, of of course, with actors that, you know, you don't know, which I think is really important when you're watching something that in your mind you have these characters and you're not distracted by yeah, someone who looks familiar. I'm well, scared. Here's the thing. I'm scared. I'm scared. Is it going to be good? It's. I loved the first episode. Okay. It shows the kind of the, the beauty and the brutality of this very working class neighbourhood in Naples where it's set. And for me, I would say anybody who has not read the books, don't go anywhere near this because that is an experience. I always think you haven't read those books. I'm so jealous of you because what an incredible experience you're about to have. And you should, as with all books, be able to make your own images and your own scenes in your head. And then if you love them, here's a chance for you to see it with new eyes, with someone else's eyes. The performances are brilliant. The two actors that start off the first episode, which play uh, Leela and Lenu, Elena, uh, as little kids are pretty much unknowns. They, they're not professional actors and they do amazing work. Uh, and then it obviously tracks them as they get older and become teenagers in this first book. But I loved the first episode. I thought it was so beautiful. <sighs> and I just, I'm, so I'm, I'm hoping that it so continues. Yeah, well, I kind of, you know, when I found out that it was going to be an Italian co-pro and it was going to be in Italian, I was like, okay, good. You've got those first two things right. It has to be this way. Mm. And then we'll see how the rest of it goes. So yeah. I've just watched the first episodes, but it's here in Australia. It's on Foxtel if you've got access to that. It's on I have HBO. What am I going to so, yeah. do? Oh, can I tell you? Someone, someone uh, sent me a message on Twitter, and I love this, um, offering their Amazon password after last week. Oh, I and I've, Bang fam. I've forgotten who it is. I can find it. But um, thank you. They just said, not weird, but you can have my Amazon password to watch <laughs> the final um, episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I've texted Gorgeous. her back and said, um, I said, can I? Is that weird? And I think we're going to do this. So if anyone's got a Foxtel password, because <laughs> I cancelled my Foxtel about a year ago because I never watched it. Um, and I really want to watch this. So thanks, everyone. Love you. <laughs> This is Bang Fan, but it's greatest. It's greatest bang incarnation. Scam. Bang Scam. It's Bang Community. It's nothing illegal. It's just sharing just the love. sharing, sharing. Sharing the love. All right. Well, I'll let you know how it goes. I'll, I'll warn you off it if it turns bad, but so far, so good. Great. I'm so excited about that. See you next week? Yeah. Hang on. Double J.